the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's great to be able to share God's word for you, uh, with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Rick, for the opportunity. And uh, we're in John 17, John chapter 17 this morning. I invite you to turn there. And we think of that title, Jesus Prays for His Disciples, the high priestly prayer that it's often referred to. Perhaps you're wondering what's so special about this particular prayer. I mean, there's lots of prayers in the Bible, right? We have prayers recorded of prophets, of kings, of apostles, and of course, the prayers of Jesus. We know prayer is powerful, don't we? How many of you believe in the power of prayer? How many of you have experienced the power of prayer? Amen. We know that prayer is a priority, or should be a priority. Amen? And certainly, we know that Jesus made prayer his priority. I mean, as we look through the scriptural accounts, we see Jesus praying at key times throughout his earthly ministry. In Luke 3, we see Jesus praying at his baptism. We see him praying in preparation for his public ministry of of teaching and preaching and healing and casting out demons. We see Jesus praying before he walks on the water, before choosing the 12 apostles. At the transfiguration event with Peter, James, and John, we see Jesus praying in the context of Moses and Elijah appearing with him and those three disciples. Jesus prays before he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And of course, we see him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus pleads with the Father, O oh, Father, if it's possible to take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And then, of course, the prayers on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he takes on the sins of the world? And then his final words before his last breath, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Yes, Jesus was committed to the priority of prayer, and he sets that example for us throughout the scriptures. However, today in our text of John 17, we find Jesus leading his disciples in a very special prayer, often referred to as Christ's high priestly prayer. So again, what's so special about this prayer? Well, over the last number of weeks, we've been studying the teachings of Jesus as he's been preparing his disciples in what's often called his farewell discourse. He's been telling them that things are about to really change. He's going away and he's getting them ready for his departure. And as we look at Jesus' teaching in the last number of chapters from 13 to 16, we hear Jesus driving home some critical themes to the team of his disciples just before he leads them in this prayer. Here are some of the key points that we've studied together. In John 13 and 14, that Jesus declares that he is the only source of divine comfort and lasting peace. He goes on to say that he is the true vine, and that in order to have relationship with Jesus, we must be connected and abiding with him and then remaining in him in order to bear fruit. He promises to the disciples that the Holy Spirit will come as the essential helper to provide divine energy 
and protection. And then he continues to tell them that he's about to provide the only way for people to be able to dwell with God forever. And now as he moves towards the final events of his betrayal, of his trial, of his brutal crucifixion, he takes a moment and he concludes his teaching by leading them in this prayer, a very intimate prayer that reveals the master plan of God's heart for his disciple. Really, it's the master's plan, an intimate look into the heart of God for his people. If you want to know what God's priority is for you, this is it. If you want to know what God's priority is for your family, this is it. If you want to know what God's priority is for our church, this is it. That's the reason this prayer is so very special. I'm going to invite us to read this prayer together. You'll find it again in John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, as he concludes his discourse, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given to him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And then Jesus turns his attention to the disciples. I have revealed you, he continues to pray, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything that has been given to me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours. All you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, 
then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given with, to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you. And they know you that have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. Lord, it's an honor and privilege for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to gather in your name, to come together in this building and to lift up your praise, to worship you with adoration, to extol you with the honor and praise that's due your name, for you, O oh God, deserve the glory. Father, as we now come to your word, I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, that there would be nothing in this weak vessel, Lord, that would get in the way of what you want to accomplish. So, Lord, we know that your word is true. It's truth. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Lord, I pray that it would pierce our hearts. I pray that it would continue to pierce my heart, Lord, as we look at this prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ prayed. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the first five verses of this chapter 17 that we just read, we see that Jesus starts his prayer by lifting his eyes toward heaven. Do you see that prayer posture? We often think of the posture of prayer as bowing down, and, and often that is. But Jesus lifts his eyes towards heaven, and he prays to God the Father that the Father would glorify him as the sent Son, and that he in turn would glorify the Father. Jesus indicates that his hour has come. It's time to Je for Jesus to wrap up his saving work, to finish his saving work on the cross according to the will of the Father. His earthly public ministry was now over. Notice in verse 4 that Jesus gives testimony that he had accomplished the work that had been given to him by the Father and that he had glorified the Father in his earthly ministry. And as you look at verse 5, Jesus asked the Father to now glorify him with the glory that he shared with God the Father before the world existed. Do you see it? Jesus, as the sent Son of God, makes his eternal existence and relationship in the Godhead very clear as he asked the Father now to glorify him with the glory that he shared with the Father before creation. So this prayer in John 17 starts with Jesus praying for himself to be glorified as he moves towards those final events that we know are coming, the final events of his betrayal, of his trial, and then his brutal death on the cross. And then after praying for himself, he turns his attention, the attention of his prayer to the disciples. And as Jesus prays for the disciples, he, he reveals to us some important truths about who those disciples are. Just quickly, I want you to notice five things about true disciples. In verses 2 and 6 and 9, we see that Jesus indicates that disciples are given to him as a gift from the Father. Do you see that? We see here that every disciple is given as a gift to the Lord Jesus Christ from God the Father. 
Have you thought of yourself as a gift from God to Jesus? I know sometimes we criticize, you know, pompous, self-righteous people. We say, oh, that guy thinks, you know, he's a gift from God. <laughs> All right? That woman thinks uh, she's a gift from God. But you, as a believer, if you are a believer, you are a gift of God the Father to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in verses 2 and 6 and 9, Jesus clearly indicates that his disciples were given to him as a gift from the Father. Look in verse 6. They were yours, and you gave them to me. Second thing I notice here about true disciples in verse 8 is they have believed. Well, what have they believed? As you look at verse 8, you see that they believe God's word. The words of Jesus given to him by the Father. We see here that disciples, and look at the words, they know with certainty that Jesus came from the Father and that Jesus was sent by him. And as we back, back up to verse 3, we also see that his disciples, they know God and his sent son, Jesus. So not only do they believe, but they in fact know God as what? As the only true God and his sent son, Jesus. I want us to understand that the word know here, the idea behind that, it means to experience something at the deepest level of understanding and knowledge that exists in relationship, like it should be for a husband and a wife. This past week, uh, the pastoral team went up to NBC, and it was such a huge blessing. Thank you, leadership, for allowing us and supporting us to do that. And up at the pastor's conference at NBC, I was introduced to NHL, NHL Hall of Famer Mike Gardner. Now, Mike uh, played uh, for 19 seasons in the NHL, uh, including teams, the Washington Capitals, the New York Rangers, uh, the Phoenix Coyotes, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Throughout his, his career that spanned close to two decades, Mike scored over 700 goals in the NHL. At the conference, Mike shared his testimony. And not only is, is he an amazing hockey player and a great guy, but he loves the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. But here's the thing. I know who Mike is. I was introduced to him. I've been in the same room. I've heard him speak. I've laughed with him. I've been inspired by him. But I don't know him. I don't have a personal relationship with him. That would be great. But I don't. You see, the kind of knowing that Jesus is talking about here is an intimate relationship with God, the living God, not just an intellectual knowledge about him. To know about God, for sure, it's important. But to know him, Jesus says, look at this, to know him is eternal life. Do you see that in verse 3? They know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I want us to think about that for a moment. The only true God. Only means exclusive, doesn't it? You know, the one and only. There is no other. And true. True in every respect. The real, genuine article. Not a counterfeit. Not a fake. The fourth thing we see here about true disciples is they're granted eternal life by the Father. We see that in verse 2. What a great gift. What a great gift. 
Disciples are given the gift of eternal life from God the Father, and that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His authority that Jesus has received from the Father. And the last thing I think is so encouraging for us as well, we see in verse 12, the relationship that we have with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ is permanent. John 6, 37, Jesus says this, All the Father, all those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And then in verse 39 of John 6, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those whom you have given me, but instead raise them up in that day. So church, do you have a clear picture of who Jesus is praying for here? He's praying for every disciple who's been given to him as a gift from God, who's believed with certainty in the only true God and his sent son, Jesus Christ. Disciples who have been given eternal life and will never be rejected or lost. Now let's look together for a moment at verse verse 9. Verse 9, Jesus is very clear. His prayer here is not a general prayer for everyone. Look what he says. He says, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. Jesus is exclusively praying for his disciples, the disciples whose feet he had just recently washed, the disciples whom he had just shared that final Passover meal, the disciples who were now gathered together in his presence for his final words of teaching and encouragement. He was certainly praying for them. But now jump down to verse 20 and notice this. See what Jesus also prays in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. Not just for the disciples that were gathered in that moment. But Jesus goes on to say, I am praying also for those who will believe in me. Wow. If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've responded to his salvation call and received eternal life, then Jesus was praying in that moment for you. Think about this. Jesus is about to face a brutal death on the cross in order to pay the penalty that that you deserve, that I deserve. And in that moment, he lifts his face to God the Father and he prays for you. And he prays for me. And so knowing that Jesus is not praying for the world, but for those disciples and his future disciples, let's look at specifically what he was praying for. I want us to notice that he he is praying that we would experience, number one, protection by the power of God's name. Protection by the power of God's name. It seems to me that our society is consumed with security, is consumed with self-preservation. I think we're particularly obsessed with physical health and safety and emotional well-being, and those are important things to be concerned about, but society is consumed with that. What kind of protection is Jesus asking for here when he prays, Holy Father, protect them? You'll see that in verse 11. And then in verse 15, protect them from the evil one. You see, Jesus is saying here that protection comes, how? By the power of God's name. We just sang about that. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. God has exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Acts 2.21 tells us that there's salvation in no other name. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in chapter 4, there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we are saved. There's healing in the name of Jesus. Amen? There's power in the name of Jesus. Are you convinced? There's power in the name of Jesus, church. We just sang about it. And there's protection in the name of Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, what are you trusting in for protection today? Who are you trusting in for protection today? You see, our safety strategies do not extend into eternity. Our health strategies don't go past this life. Our financial strategies end in the grave for us. They don't extend either. The only person who offers eternal protection is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he protect us from? Ephesians 6 tells us this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. So put on the full armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 10 Remind us that our enemy, God's enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So resist him, Scripture says. Stand firm. Christ will make you strong. Christ will make you steadfast. You see, Jesus, just before this high priestly prayer, if you look back at the end of chapter 16, he's just said to the disciples, take heart, I have overcome the world. Will you have trouble? Yes. Take heart. Will you have sickness? Yes. Take heart. Will you have persecution? Will you experience suffering? Will you have temptation? Yes. Take heart. Jesus has overcome. There's powerful protection in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And Jesus not only protects us as disciples, he keeps his disciples. Well, maybe you're wondering, what do I mean by that? Jesus keeps his disciples. It means that if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are eternally safe. He provides a guarantee of your protection for all to come. So we're talking about the keeping power of protection now that allows us to remain steadfast in our walk in this life with Jesus. Through the protecting and keeping power of Jesus' name, he enables us to persevere. He enables us to continue, to press on. He enables us to finish. So we see as Jesus prays here, Jesus is praying for the protection of his disciples by the power of God's name. Let's look together at the next thing that Jesus prays that we would experience as his disciples. You'll see in verse 13, Jesus says, I say these things while I'm still in the world. Why? So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Think about what gives you joy. 
How many of you find joy in your jobs? I'm looking at some of the ministry staff. Why are your hands not up, Jordan? Oh, you got there. Okay. How many of you find joy in relationships? Yeah. Hobbies? Pets? I thought so. Food? Oh, Jim was first to put his... Coffee! Oh, I know there's more than that because I saw the coffee urns out there. But how do we possess Christ's joy? That's what he's talking about here. In John 15, 9 to 11, Jesus teaches this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. How do we do that? He goes on to say, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So what's the outcome of that, remaining in his love? He goes on to say, I have told you this, now listen, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. Jobs and relationships and hobbies and pets and food and whatever our pursuits are, are temporary, aren't they? They don't last. But notice here, Jesus is talking about his joy, which is not temporary. And it's not partial, but it's the deep and overflowing joy of Christ that flows out of relationship with him. Think about that phrase, the full measure of my joy. The idea here is is filled to the very top, filled to the brim. You can't get another drop in there without it overflowing. That's the full measure that Christ is praying for, that we would experience of his joy. There's not room for anything else. How many of you want this kind of joy? Amen? That we would be filled up with the joy of Christ. The world pursues happiness and well-being in things that never truly satisfy. I mean, just look to the most successful people. Just look to them. Wealth, Sex, drugs, material possessions, whatever you name it, they don't bring fulfillment. They don't bring happiness. They definitely don't bring joy. So the question for us this morning is, what are our joy pursuits? What are your highest joy priorities? Is it Jesus or some other replacements that never last, that never satisfy, that never fill you up, that never complete you? Jesus offers you as a disciple his never-ending joy, his joy to be experienced now in this life to the fullest. Wow. Jesus continues in the prayer as you look now at verse 17, asking the Father to do a perfecting work in his disciples. Notice he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Perhaps you're thinking, wait a second, I'm not perfect. And as I look around this room this morning at some other believers in the room, I know they're not perfect, and you're right. Disciples are sinners. The person sitting beside you is a sinner. Look at them. The person you're married to is a sinner. The person sitting in your seat, your seat, is a sinner. The person standing in this pulpit this morning is a sinner. Praise God, a sinner saved by grace. Amen? Amen. Romans 3.23 says this, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does Jesus mean when he asked the Father to sanctify his disciples? 
Well, the idea of being sanctified, there's two ideas. One is, is to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be purified, to be dedicated. Well, when does that happen? By God's grace at salvation. That moment that we are personally adopted into God's family through the saving faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. At that moment, we are set apart for holy service to God. We immediately become his saints. Sinners saved by grace set apart for holy service to God. Purified and made holy through the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Consecrated and dedicated to him. That's a salvation event. But it doesn't start there. In addition to being set apart, Jesus continues his refining, his shaping, his molding, his purifying work in us. And that's a lifeline process, isn't it, saints? It's a lifeline process that, occur, that occurs in the truth. Notice Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is not just true, it is true, but it's not just that. It is the truth. There is no other truth. I mean, my goodness, these days everyone has their own version of their truth, but that's not the truth. There is one truth, and that's God's word. I'm so thankful for the people that pour into our kids' lives, even in our nurseries. My little, my little grandson, James, he just loves to sing the B-I-B-L-E. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Little two-year-old, I stand alone on the Word of God. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Jesus here is declaring there is no other truth. There's only God's truth as revealed in His Word. It is the standard by which everything else must be judged. And so as disciples, Jesus prays that we would grow in holiness and purity by believing in God's truth and living that truth out through our attitudes, our words, and our actions. This is what Jesus wants to experience as disciples, that we would be protected from evil, the evil one, that we would possess his joy to the fullest, and that we would experience his perfecting work in us as we live out our lives in his truth. And then in the final section now of Jesus' prayer, he brings forward a relational priority of unity for us as believers. I want you to see this. Think about unity for a minute. It's not a word that we experience in society very much anymore, is it? Unity is all about relationships. So here Jesus prays that his disciples who experience his protection, his joy, his sanctification, that they might put on display the kind of unity that is shared within the Godhead. Look at what Jesus prays in verse 21 to 23. Let's read it again. He says, I pray that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to what? Complete unity. Then, see that? Then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. As the Father and the Son are one, Jesus calls us as believers to unity with each other and with God. 
complete unity he talks about. The unity that exists between Jesus and the Father is more than just an example to us. Disciples are called to fellowship in that unity, the holy union, and then with each other as we experience the love of the Father. It's so very important that we understand there are no independent operators, and that's our problem. From the very beginning of sin, it's our problem. We want to do it our way. But no, if you look at John 10, 16, Jesus makes it very clear. There's to be one flock, and there's to be one shepherd. One mind, one purpose, one love, one mission on display. Why? That the world might know. So how is your unity this morning? With God? Are you one with God through fully surrendered obedience to Christ according to his word? We're called to be one with him. God the Father in us through the Lord Jesus Christ and then us in him. What about Christ's bride, the church? How's your unity? Are you one with your fellow brothers and sisters? In Christ, or are there divisions in our relationships? Jesus is praying and calling us to unity in our relationships also with each other. To be one with each other as God is one. Finally, Jesus calls out in this prayer. He calls out to the Father that in addition to us putting unity on display, our unity with God and each other, He prays that we would do that and that we might experience and display His glory. Look at verse 24 as we wrap this chapter up. Verse 24, Father, I want those whom you have given given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given to me because you loved me before the creation of the world. We just sang about this. Jesus desires us to be with Him in heaven. Why, I don't understand this except to accept that that brings him glory. He wants us to experience that glory now and forevermore. The now is just a foretaste. Look at verse 22. Jesus tells us that he's given his disciples the glory that was given to him. As we saw in the beginning of this prayer, those first five verses, Jesus was all about bringing glory to God the Father. And now he's praying that as believers, we would reflect the glory of God even now in our own lives. How? By living out his truth in obedience through the power and through the protection and with the joy of Christ in relational unity with him and each other. Are you experiencing the glory of God in your life? Is your life putting on display the excellence of God? Are you reflecting his holiness his splendor, his majesty? Are you longing for the future glory that's yet to be revealed, that's yet to be experienced? Friends, this is the master's plan. A close and intimate look into the heart of our Savior as he prays for his disciples just before he goes to the garden to face his arrest and then his crucifixion. This is what he wants for us as he prayed that we would experience, yes, protection from evil. Yes, that we would possess the fullness of his joy. Yes, that we would experience the perfecting work of Christ through his word, for his word is truth. 
but in addition that we would put on display our unity with God and each other so that the world would know, that they would see that growing relationship that we have with him and each other as we experience the glory of God working in us to put his glory on display for the world to see. As we wrap up this morning, I want us to note how Jesus concludes this prayer, his high priestly prayer. Verses 25 and 26, Jesus prays, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Did you catch that? Jesus is praying here that he will continue, verse 26, to make known the love and unity that he experiences with the Father as his disciples unite with him in love and in unity. Why? So that the world might believe and know. To the glory of God, Christ's priestly work here continues to protect us from evil, to produce fullness of joy for us, and to perfect us as disciples as together we display our love for God and for each other in unity. What are you experiencing this morning? What have you been experiencing this week, this month? Are you experiencing Christ's protection? Are you experiencing the fullness of his joy? Are you letting him do his perfecting work? Are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your life as he seeks to to shape and to sanctify you? What are you displaying? What are we displaying to the world? Is it unity with God and each other? His love in and through us? His glory in us? You see, there's only one kind of disciple. We either are about God's glory or we aren't. What are you? The other day, Debbie and I were talking about my sermon prep. She was wondering how my prep was going and and she asked me a really good question. She said, what, what has really struck you? What's really grab, gripped your heart about this passage? And I looked at her and I said, Deb, you know, I think I've preached on this passage before. I've studied it before. But what's jumping out to me is that as I look at how Christ started this prayer and how he finishes this prayer, it's all about God's glory. It comes down to understanding and responding to Christ's heart for us to join him in experiencing and reflecting the glory of God as he continues to make his love and his presence known to us. And even though Jesus wants us to be in heaven with him to experience that future glory, he promises to be with us now. He promises that he will continue to make his love known to us as we experience the glory of that presence in our lives. Yes, we've been set apart. Yes, Jesus is sanctifying us. Yes, he wants us to experience his joy. Yes, he is protecting us. But this all comes down to one purpose, to bring God glory and to put his glory on display in our lives. 1 Corinthians 1.31 says this, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, I ask you this question. If this is the master's heart for his disciples, are you all about God's glory? 
The only answer is yes, if he really is your king. Let's pray together. Our great God and King, we've been singing this morning and blessing your holy name. For you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Father, you deserve the praise and the honor and the glory. And we thank you for the way that you have provided a way for your people to be protected in and by the power of your name. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the fullness of joy that you offer to us through Christ. That despite our circumstances or our trials our difficulties. We can experience that. Lord, we know you've set us apart to live lives that are holy according to your truth and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christ that lives in us. And so, our great God and King, we praise and thank you even now that Jesus is sitting at your right hand advocating for us. We thank you for your word this morning, and Lord, I trust that it's, it's encouraged others as it has encouraged and challenged me this morning. Lord, may we experience the fullness of your heart for us as we seek to live out this prayer for your honor and glory. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Praise forever to the King of Kings. Believers, friends gathered here this morning, if you're a disciple of Christ, what we just sang about is our mission our call that we will enjoy throughout all eternity, that we would give honor and glory and praise forever to the King of Kings. I trust this morning as we've gathered together in God's word that there's something that the Holy Spirit has pricked on your heart. Certainly he has for me. As I've studied and, and even delivered this this morning that we do an inventory, thinking about the protection of Christ and his joy and his sanctifying work and his requirement that we live in unity with each other and with him. But I have to pause for a moment and ask this. Perhaps you've gathered here this morning and, and you've been a fan of what's going on here. You've been a fan of this idea of Jesus, but you've never become his follower. The invitation is open to you today. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. If you can believe, believe and come into relationship with God the Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. As we conclude, I lift up this doxology that's found at the end of, of Jude in verse 24. A beautiful doxology. And now to him who is able to keep you, church, you believer, you disciple from stumbling and who will present you before the presence of his glory without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages and now and forevermore. And together, God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.